Remember, my excellent drivers, you are responsible for the safe use of your vehicle and abiding by the state or territory rules that you are driving in, and that, of course, includes mobile phone usage. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Art of Confident Driving. Today we've got special guests. Uh, We've got Casey and we've got Brianne, and they're going to tell us their story. All right, so welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today, Casey and Miss Brianne. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. So I'd like to let the listeners know why I've chosen you guys to come in and have a chat. Me personally, I can tell you straight away, listeners, it's because I'm in front of a hero. So this man is a hero. He's literally put his life on the line for somebody else. And it was, of course, due to a motor vehicle accident, as a lot of the people call it. You will hear me say it many times. There is no such thing as a motor vehicle accident in my books. There is always a reason why it happened and also a way to solve it from happening again. So, Mr. Casey, tell us your story. All right. Um, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. So this is what I've been told. I remember nothing of what happened. Right. So whole amnesia yeah. thing from it. But heading towards Southport Library, and I saw a car up and mount the curb in reverse, Oof. and it was headed right towards a little four-year-old girl. Wow. Uh, apparently, I just turned and ran straight in. Managed to get enough of my body in the way to knock her out of the way. Wow. Got collected by the car, thrown yeah. Two metres into the air, three metres backwards into a wall. Wow. The police and paramedics are surprised that neither of us were dead. Yeah. But luckily, if I hadn't intervened, it would have been catastrophic for the little girl. She went home from hospital the next day. I wasn't so lucky. I spent three weeks in hospital. Gee whiz. Multiple injuries that I think we've found them all now. About after eight weeks, we found out all the injuries that I had. Right. So it was the world's worst scavenger hunt, just finding out everything <laughs> as we went on. Oh, goodness. But yeah, so that's how we ended up here. Yeah, okay. So you literally, you have saved that child's life. A car in reverse that's moving at, at that sort of speed, yeah, he, he, he wouldn't have been able to stop the driver. So No, it was it was some sort of speed too. So the estimate was between 45 to 60 k's an hour. He went up the curb, hit a concrete manhole cover and just kept going and they said he wouldn't have stopped. It was my impact in the car that stopped it. Right. And so luckily enough that we didn't get pinned into the wall. Yes. Everything kind of worked out as best it could in that scenario. Yes. So to my mind, the first thing that comes to me is there's only two reasons for a car being that fast in reverse. And one would be a medical episode. And of course, this brings us to the driver himself. Now, I don't know him. I don't think Casey, you don't know him. No. So I just want to be absolutely clear, this is not anything to do with the age of the driver, although that is a factor. It is to do with having control of your vehicle, but more importantly, it's knowing if you are in medical risk of not being in control of that vehicle, do we announce that to our doctors? Well, yeah, I think we should, and I think we've got to take onus on on that and say, well, I'm not really feeling great behind the wheel, so maybe I should just take a step back. The only other reason that driver would have been at that speed, my friends, is simple panic. So there is a possibility that 
the driver just panicked, chose the wrong pedal and just slammed it on down and then was too busy panicking to stay calm and get the foot back across to the brake, which as you guys know, who've been listening long enough, you know how I feel about the brake, your brake's your best friend. So <laughs> I always try and find the reason for a crash because I then can go back and go, right, well, this would have been the solution. I guess for you guys, it would be the question of what could be done to perhaps not have that happen again, at least in your opinion? It would be changing reforms. So right now, as far as I know, in Queensland, it is after the age of 75, you only need to produce a medical certificate to be allowed to drive. Mm -hmm. Down in Victoria and Sydney, Mm -hmm. you have to do a driver's test to prove that you're still competent after that age. So currently the medical form that you have to produce to the doctor, and you only have to produce this over the age of 75, they only have to do a relatively basic eye test and physical assessment. If it's a doctor that the patient hasn't been to before, then the wording is very lax. It says that they should perform a more thorough examination. When it comes to the eye test, it says that the doctor should perform, the assessment should be conducted in accordance with the standards provided in the Ausroads assessing fitness to drive for private and commercial vehicle drivers. It's not obligatory enough, I feel. Mm. like It's not that it must be conducted and there's no onus on the doctors to really have to provide that. But it's also very easy if a doctor says no, Mm. that they can doctor shop and have a doctor be like, yeah, all right. Or that it can come back to them being like, oh, look, doc, I had like one issue with having an accident. Come on, doc, it won't happen again. Just sign me off. Or I've been your patient for 30 years. You know me, just sign me off. I think it really does need to become more of a government legislation, take it out of the hands of it being a personal issue where Mm. it's someone's opinion Yeah, and just be like, test them, give them some reflex tests, Mm. some reaction tests and do a driving test the same way that we do with our younger drivers coming onto the roads to make sure that they're still safe. Yeah, And it can be starting at like 65, you've got five years, and then just gradually get it shorter and shorter time span. And I think that that would also create an amazing cognitive display through data to show where we need to provide individual and across the board help for our senior citizens, like across the country yeah. as well. That sounds incredible. When, when are you going to run for office, girl? <laughs> that's really great. I'm loving that. And that's the point because I think people forget, they take for granted that, oh, look, I've been driving for 50 years. I'm okay. I can still drive. And a lot of them do realize, look, I'm, I'm not as good as what I used to be. So they will restrict their driving. But I think there is a point where we've got to say, well, hang on a second, guys. Our cognitive abilities can diminish over time. Our reflexes absolutely diminish over time. And a lot of the time, the senior drivers, they have not even touched a road rule book since they literally got it 60 years ago. So I think there needs to be something, as you say, across the board. It can't just be, you know, each state has got their own rules, which, as we all know, drives us all crazy. If we can have a standardised, look, you're hitting 70, we want you to do a road rule refresher. We want you to do a proper medical exam and then come back in five years' time and do it again. Mm -hmm. And then when you're hitting 80, you're now used to, oh, yeah, every five years I can do it. 
now at 80, I'm going to be doing the driving test as well. Because, yeah, I absolutely agree that there's too much complacency when it comes to I'm just going to jump behind the wheel and go. And there's no onus on that person to say, well, I'm not feeling well today or I'm under the wrong medication to be driving today or I'm just not focused, I'm tired. And all of those things, especially with an older driver, can really impact their driving ability and, again, put everybody at risk. So I love that. That's so awesome, Brian. That is fabulous. I think also, like, it would really bring forth initiatives for, like, senior citizens in terms of public transport and senior care for transport, whether I know that there's already free taxi services and free public transport and in terms of that. But a lot of times, especially for elderly people, it's very capped at certain times that they can Mm. use it. And sometimes they don't feel safe in certain, like with the tram, it only travels to certain, certain areas. Um, and sometimes like there's a lot of news stories about certain things happening in certain public transport things. But if we could implement that more accessibility is being made for senior people being able to hand in their licenses and utilize public transport and then have something that helps them feel safe and able to access Mm. it as well that might help as well and moving forward yeah not feel so restricted and like everyone's coming down on them yeah and and that's the thing like there is a freedom to driving which we all appreciate once we've got our license and I don't think anybody really wants to give that up. But having said that, yeah, you're absolutely right. We need to get more people onto public transport. There are many drivers out there who don't want to drive, but they're being forced to because the public transport system isn't good enough. And they would rather be off the roads. And us drivers who enjoy the driving, we would rather them be off the roads as well because they're, they're not confident, they hesitate, and it does cause dramas for a lot of us. I guess the other the other question then would be, how can we get that implemented? Do we start with the state? Do we go straight to federal? Because that's the problem with all of our road rules is, yeah, we've got a standardised one for Australia-wide, but then we've got so many statewide restrictions and not restrictions. You know, you jump in between the two states and you're like, oh, which road rule am I applying today? So that's one of my biggest things is trying to get very standardised road rules. You might have a couple of little different ones for each state. So, you know, down in Victoria, they've got the lovely hook turn, which is always a fun one to watch. Beautiful one. Up here in Queensland, we've got, you can almost do a U-turn anywhere, almost. Please check it out, guys. I have done that U-turn episode. Go listen to that. But, you know, so we've all got our own little state ones. But I think in general, we really do need to up the ante. We all want to be happier on the roads, don't we? We want to be safe. We want to get from point A to point B. And if we can all know the road rules because they're Australia-wide, wouldn't that be so much easier? be great. Like even in terms of with what Brianna was saying, where it could be something for buses or Ubers or discounts, stuff like mm. that. In Japan, they implemented something where if an elderly driver handed their licence, they got discounts on ramen for life. Nice. And so that just helps with the cost of living and stuff like that. Yeah. So anything along those lines to help ease anything along that. And then the road rules as well, obviously. Yeah. But anything that just helps people in general. Indeed. Because I think we're all – like I eventually will have to hand my, even my licence in and then you'd be limited to what you can do. 
So hopefully by the time I have to do that, we've got a whole much better public transport system. Otherwise, my dear darling daughter will be driving me everywhere. But no, I, I like truthfully, I wouldn't mind sitting, like obviously being an instructor, I've, I've got a, a heads up on what's going to be asked, but I wouldn't mind resetting a driving test when I hit 75, 80, 85. It wouldn't bother me. And the people who it will bother are the ones who are not confident behind the wheels, the ones who are taking those medications, the ones who do have physical problems that don't allow them to be happy and safe drivers. So I think education is always the best. If we can start, as you said, Brian, educating them just that bit earlier, maybe even starting at 65 and say, well, listen, guys, these road rules have changed that time. How about we catch up on those road rules and then maybe even some training for those who aren't comfortable? I've got to say 10% of my work is fully licensed drivers, whether they're coming to me for parking Mostly the the older drivers come to me for roundabouts because they never grew up with them. They're not that confident in using, especially the big multi-lane roundabouts or spiral roundabouts. They can be quite complex and they're intimidating to people who don't understand them. Now, admittedly, most of the state governments have got really good videos on YouTube, (laughs) so you can have a look at those. But yeah, I get a lot of fully licensed drivers coming to me to come on and off the motorway to just feel more confident to, and to basically assess and make sure that they're safe to go on the roads. Those are the people who would be happy to go do a test because they're putting in the effort. Whereas I think there are a lot of drivers out there, they're like, I know how to drive. I haven't had an accident in 40 years. I don't see why I should do a test. And that's the thing. When I was in hospital, everyone had a story of knowing someone. Oh, well, we only have one praying. Or if I get to that point where I've had a praying, then I'll hand my license in. Mm. We found out that the police only take a license away if a death is involved. Wow. So the driver can have a prank and still have a license. I don't know how much closer you need to get to an incident before you take a license away. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's scary to think about. And so it's just, we're not saying elderly people can't drive. It's just make sure you're safe, same as you would for a 19 year old. Exactly. Just be safe. And speaking of that, I've been researching a lot about this where. Truthfully, the older drivers are nearly in the same category as the younger ones for crash risk and also at-fault crash risk. So the mid-range of us in from the 20s to the 60s, we're, we're okay. We don't normally have the higher risk. Again, it's all to do with medical and that sort of thing. But that was a very big shock. I knew they ha- they were higher up in the ranks, but I didn't realize they were nearly as high as the P-platers. As we're all aware of the P-platers, they've got the dreadful statistics. But guess what? If you research, it's it's actually yeah, the older drivers. That's something I did not know. Yeah, there you go. Another level. Exactly right. So when you recovered and you got out and you were thinking, oh, my goodness, I need to go walking around, I need to be near cars again, did that worry you? Did that kind of affect you? Yeah, so it it did take three weeks before I was out of hospital. Mm. And then as I'm walking along now, I'm definitely more wary of cars. It's like being, I would say, being barked at by a big dog. Yeah. You're now a bit more wary of big dogs. Yeah. So it's definitely that thing of just looking around and being a bit more on edge. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it'll go back to normal. Yeah. Or if not, I'm just more safe around people reversing. Yes. It yeah. is one of those things, unfortunately, but it's part and parcel of it. That That is an, a nasty side effect. And I, I think people aren't aware of these sort of things. When you do have a motor vehicle crash, that it will affect you, whether you're at fault, somebody else was at fault, whether you were injured or not. A motor vehicle accident or crash is not great. And if you get hurt, it's even worse because that will affect you mentally. So even when your body heals, your mind has remembered that and it's really not happy about it. Not at all. 
been a couple of times where I've just heard a noise, like late at night, I'm just laying in bed and I've heard a noise or I've felt a sensation. Mm. And like, I, this isn't good. Yeah. My brain has been fortunate enough to shut off that part. I don't even remember the morning of the incident. The first thing I remember is wake up in hospital with people probing and prodding things into me. <laughs> Always uh, fun. Yeah. It's the things you remember. <laughs> but so just those things of, like, if it gets to the point where it, it does become an issue, I will talk to people. Mm. At the moment, it's okay. But yeah, it is those things of you. It's more than just the physical that mm. sticks with you. And have you been able to drive? Because you're in a brace, uh, listeners, just so you understand. Casey's got a very, very impressive brace around him. And I will actually send through the link so you guys can have a look at their GoFundMe page. And there's a photo of him on there. <laughs> I think it's a really cool brace. But again, does that restrict your driving? Are you able to drive? I'm not the- able to drive. So okay. do you want me to list the injuries? Like. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to. They're, they're, they're scary. I did have a read of them and they're, they're quite scary. But I guess, you know, again, this is something that people don't think about when we think about the crash. It's like, well, okay, yeah, I was involved in a crash, but now guess what? I'm now not able to drive because of the injuries. Yeah, because of the back brace, I can't turn to do a shoulder check. Yeah. So while I'm in the brace, I'm not allowed to drive at all. Yeah. Even getting out of the brace whenever that happens. Yeah. It's then physio and rehab to make sure I can turn and feel okay. Yes. And even sitting down for prolonged periods, I found out I have a fractured tailbone. There you go. Goodness. I was going to say it in the worst way. <laughs> oh, good. But oh. yeah, so I've had a fractured tailbone. So even sitting down, that's difficult. So you don't want to be yeah. a passenger in the car for too long. No. You go for a drive. So Brianne's copying all the miles behind the, the wheel. Oh, man. No, she's a good egg. She's a good egg. So that, again, yeah, it really does impact you don't think about it you think oh yeah i'll just get the car fixed up and i'm good to go well no it's the cars might be fine once it's repaired but you're not good to go and how much has that impacted your life hugely massively it's one of the interesting things about the whole scenario is i'm a stunt performer Mm. for film and tv that i won't be able to do that for the next year yeah but that's also what saved me in the scenario yeah is the paramedics they watch the cctv footage and they said that i actually turned and braced and i hit the wall like the way I hit the wall was what we would do on film. Mm. And that's what saved me from any catastrophic major injuries. Yeah, It all bled one into the other. But, yeah, I won't be able to go back to doing anything for another 12 months. So there you go. That's that's loss of pay as well as loss of mobility. Yep. Yeah, as well as loss of your freedom with not being able to be behind the wheel. So many things. So many things. And just over one mistake. It's scary. And this is the thing I think people forget. You are in a killing machine, my friends. Okay. Please give... No, no, I was about to say, please give it the respect that that it deserves. I I was just going to say, I know he hasn't had the chance to go behind a wheel yet, but my auntie was, when she was younger, she was T-boned quite horrifically Mm. while she was driving. None of it was her fault. Someone, I think they ran a red light or something. She ended up being fine. Obviously, her car was totaled, but it's been like 15 years since. Obviously, she got behind the wheel again. She's had a family and everything. She is still so skittish behind the wheel driving and around other drivers she wasn't majorly hurt or anything like that but just because of that incident it has deeply traumatized more than she was kind of really acknowledging that her driving has become affected by it and i think that's more than she's willing to accept as well but she's such a careful driver she drives under the speed limit and Mm. is so kind of skittish about everything but that in and of itself becomes a little bit of dangerous driving as well so i think that's also something to think about is that even though it's not your fault and you haven't been the cause of an accident Mm. being the recipient of an accident can also be 
such a dangerous thing as well. Absolutely. And yeah, you've nailed it because I've actually had quite a few students where mum has had an accident or been involved in an accident. And the student, because they've seen mum drive just pretty much how you've just described, they're skittish, they won't go on the motorway, they're under the speed limit. The student gets in the car, even though that student has never driven before, they've picked up on that habit of when I get into a car, I get skittish, I get scared. So it's, yeah, it's not just that single person who gets affected by that. It's it's big chain reaction. Yeah, huge chain reaction. Huge chain reaction. So, yeah, it's, again, it comes down to education. I think that if we can get better education from the ground level, so from the 17-year-olds, 16 and 17-year-olds, if they can be taught how to drive correctly, how to control the vehicle correctly, how not to panic, and if something is going wrong, love your brake, love your brake. Your brake's your best friend, guys. The amount of times I say that a day is incredible. But your brake is your best friend for that reason. You train your brain into something's wrong, I just brake. Instead of I'm panicking, I'm panicking, it's getting worse, nothing's getting fixed. So again, training, education, I think we really need to get stuck in here in Australia because we've got, you know, how many people drive? I mean, we must have one of the highest rates of drivers in the world, I would think, because our public transport ain't the greatest, fellas. (laughs) One of the best things for my driving, and I, I spent my teenage years growing up on a farm, so mm. I got given a bush basher when I was like 11. And so I kind of taught myself how to drive before I ever ended up on a road. Yeah. But one of the best things for my driving is part of becoming a stunt performer is one of the requirements is that you have to go and do an advanced driving course. Mm. And so you have to go and do learning how to fishtail and get out of it and all of the learning about your car and the specifics and how you should even set up your car Mm. for yourself and where to put your mirrors and Mm. how far your back your seat should be and all Mm. of that sort of stuff in addition to how to brake with ABS as opposed to how to brake without it Mm. and all of that sort of stuff. And doing those advanced driving courses and things like that is one of the things I think has been the best thing for my driving as well because it just puts you in another level of just going, okay, a dangerous situation, I've done it in a safe place. Yeah. I can probably just I know how to do that. Yeah in a not safe space when it's doing it for real. So that's training. Yeah. It's training. It's always training. I don't technically do advanced driving courses because I actually teach all that stuff in the basics. But more importantly, I teach them how not to get into skids in the first place, <laughs> which is better. which is the ideal. Nobody wants to be in a skid. I've been in a couple. They're not fun. Yeah. So I have trained my students not to get into a skid in the first place, to identify the threats. And that's, that's I think, what people don't do a lot of these days is, is threat identification because we're too busy doing other stuff. Yes. <laughs> we're busy thinking about what what we, you know, whatever's going on. We've got to plan for dinner. We've got to take what's the kids the to, yeah, what's on the radio? Yeah. Listening to your favourite podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, that was a bad joke. Um but yeah, I think I think if you know, I teach my students threat assessment. So when you're walking down the street, what is the biggest threat? Well, it would be a car reversing towards you, which is now going to terrify you, yep. I'm sure. But at least then you can identify it and you can train yourself, okay, I'm going to stay back from it. Whereas if we're just driving or walking around mindlessly, something happens, we're not prepared for it. And it's going to scare us, we're going to panic, things are going to go wrong again. So it's that vicious circle of if we haven't got the good training, if we haven't got the education, if we haven't got the calm demeanour to be able to fix the problem and solve the problem early, it's going to get ugly. And you can never have enough training. Like you go to Sweden and Norway and they're learned like yes. essentially rally driving because of the snow and all that yeah. stuff. 
Yeah. So they've got some of the safest drivers in the world over there. Yes. And you can never have enough skills under your belt. Mm. And the more training you do, the more confident you are in every scenario. Yeah. And it could just be as simple as loose gravel on the road from a truck with insecure load. Exactly. And you now know how to handle that situation. Yeah. Love it, Casey. When, when are we all doing this? <laughs> I'll set it up. Sounds great. So, my friends, we do need to actually actively go out and annoy our state and federal representatives to start doing something about road safety, to start identifying the biggest threats on the road, to start identifying how we can solve these problems before they are big problems. So I am so grateful for you guys coming in to tell the story. Let's try and get this story out and get people aware to go get checked out by the doctor properly, see that you're safe to be behind the wheel Learn from other people's mistakes. If if a friend of yours has had a close call, well, should we help that friend to say, do you need some help with extra training? You know, are you feeling comfortable still being behind the wheel? Mm. You know, have those conversations. A lot of the training courses are fun too. It's not like yeah. you just get yelled at. No. If you go out to some of the places, you you have a good day out of it too. So yeah. it's not just don't think it's like training like back at school where you just got yes and no and yelled at. Exactly. Go enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, you will have a good time. Yeah, yeah my students have a good time. They're all like, oh, I feel so much better now. That's and th- that's the point. That's the point. You've got to be confident when you're on the roads, but you, you've got to have that control. Yeah. And I think too, just I don't want anyone to feel like we're gunning for the old people or I anything. Know. And I feel like a lot of people will kind of feel like that, but... I would want to say to them, what if this was your grandchild in this situation that Mm. someone hit? Or what if this was you hitting someone's grandchild Mm. and how awful you would feel or you hitting your own grandchild? Yeah. Like, how horrible would you feel if you were like, oh, I've been thinking that I'm maybe not the best Mm. and I didn't want to give up my freedom Mm. and you've potentially taken away someone's life? Yeah. Yeah or someone else's freedom who had so much life left Mm. just because you were a little bit scared Mm. of what that could mean Mm. for you. So it's more than just like, more than just, oh, these young people are having a go sort of thing. It's it's people's lives at stake more than just. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I trained the, the older drivers back when I was in Sydney for many years. There was one man, he drove better than me. He was 87 and he was brilliant. Yep. I keep thinking back to him. He's, he, he may have passed by now, but good luck to him if he's still going. But no, he, he was brilliant. He really impressed me. But most of the ones who did come for professional lessons to make sure they would pass the test, they were willing to put in the effort. They were willing to put in the time to make sure they were safe once they got their license, yep. once they passed that test for the age test to to be able to be out on our roads. And I think you can't really say to anybody, oh, you can't drive. Well, give us the opportunity to prove that we can drive and then we're we're good to go. And I think that's what's missing, certainly here in Queensland and any of the other states. Yeah, Yeah, I think if if you've got the skills, rock on, keep going. I I actually taught a 99-year-old. So there you go. That that was the oldest person I taught. One of of my colleagues taught a 101-year-old. But again, if they're willing to put in the time and the effort to say, oh, I want to make sure I'm safe, well, fabulous. That's amazing. I know. I was impressed. They they actually did really well. And yeah, they passed their test first go, no problem. Be honest. How was it for you being in the car with them? No, well, most of the time I was okay. There, There is one memory I have of a dear, dear sweet man, Mr. Fredrickson. I took him out for three lessons and all three, I honestly thought I was going to die. Oh. Uh, 
Um, I, I will eventually do a, an episode just on dear old Mr. Fredrickson. But yeah, he, he had a car where I had zero controls. There was no handbrake near me. The gears, you know, uh, that was the, the best control I had. And, and he was a panicker. He was a panicker. So we'd entered a roundabout and, and he saw somebody on his right. They hadn't come onto the roundabout yet, but he saw somebody on his right. So he slammed on the brakes in the middle of the roundabout and then decided he wanted to reverse to fix up the mistake. So yeah, that was fun. There are a few other incidents like that. Um, but what no. happens to 17-year-olds? Well, that's it. That's it. We're, and that's the problem. We panic because we are human. You know, it's it's our flight or fight response, and that's normal, but we've got to learn to ignore it and say, stay calm, breathe, break. It's not a fear. It's an unfamiliarity. Yeah, yeah. The more familiar you are with it, it yeah. just become second nature. Exactly. exactly. Training. Man, if we all know how to make a cup of tea then we can all train to do anything else because, you know, it doesn't matter what the training is. If, if you do it enough, you get really good at it. So, yeah, train, 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 my friends. Stay calm. Don't panic. Love the break. How many times do I say it? Too many, I'm sure. <laughs> so thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We're, we're going to move forward and try and get some proper action happening with our, our state governments and then hopefully the federal to get some action on on keeping our safe drivers safe and our unsafe drivers off the roads. Yep. I think would be great. But thank you for your time. Best wishes for a, a healthy recovery. Thank you very much. And thank you to both of you, Brian. You're a great advocate. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing you in uh, in local government or even state government. I reckon you'd, you'd be awesome at it. You <laughs> wouldn't know what hit him. <laughs> yeah, that is true, which is probably for the best. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Thank and you. we'll catch you next time. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening. As always, there are links on the website and I'll try and pop some in the show notes. Thanks for your time. Stay safe, be confident, be kind, follow the road rules. Love your break. All right, catch you next time. And my full driving lessons are available on Apple Podcasts and the artofconfidentdriving.com website where you'll get access to instructional videos. Remember to relax and enjoy the drive. See you next time.